Hello friends and welcome to Talking Transformative Love. Love is in the air. The podcast that talks vocation, love and mission. Celebrating the valiant woman that was Mary Ward. I'm Joanne Carter, your host. Before we get into this episode, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of country, all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across Australia, paying our deepest respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Today we have Rachel McLaughlin, a Loretto sister, who was born and bred in Adelaide, but now has become a Sydney cider. Rachel is actually my housemate and we have been living together for over a year and it's been a wonderful adventure. Rachel, tell us a little bit about your move to Sydney. What has it been like? Well, um, good to be with you, Joanne. Um, I escaped Melbourne, really, on the second lockdown, I think it was, or the third lockdown. Um, the plan was to come to Sydney and I was slowly packing the car and then when the Premier said, we're going to lock down this afternoon, I sped up my packing and I raced here and got here February, I think it was, in uh, 2020. Yes, I remember um, having a phone conversation with you and you said, I need to get out of here. <laughs> and I remember that we had that um, 5K restriction mm. um, and we've spent a lot of time in lockdown mm. and it's been an interesting adventure. Mm. Uh, we've done lots of walking today, so that's been good and lots of coffee to survive mm. both Sydney and Melbourne, Melbourne lockdown. lockdown. Yeah. So Rachel, tell us... Um, what is your belief system or spirituality that shaped your childhood and continues to form you today? Um, I had a, um, a beautiful childhood, um, very loving, faith-filled parents, and I think they were a, a big influence on me. Um, I went to a Loretto school, Loretto Marriottville in Adelaide, and I didn't realise it at the time, but I was profoundly influenced by... The, um, the the faith of teachers and mm. sisters at the school. And I think it was the Ignatian experience even then of finding God in all things, um, of experiencing God as love mm. and being taught and told and knowing God as love and just always having a deep knowledge of love as the driving force of everything. Yeah, and that's a beautiful way to have, um, I guess it's a beautiful spirituality to have as a child because it gives you an insight into the world that can become dark very quickly and having that spirituality gives you that basis to live your life in hope that there is such thing as transformative love. Mm -hmm. I can remember at the end of, um, school. I didn't really want to leave school because I loved the community. I felt really at home, mm. but I knew I had to. And I do remember, and I've heard many Loretto um, students say this over the years, that they had a sense of knowing that we had a, a privileged education and uh, a sense of giving. Mm because of that education or, or a sense of wanting to serve and 
be there for yeah. others. And Loretto schools still continue to do that mm. for young women. Um, give, give them that sense of um, grounding and great education to, so that they become leaders. And that's what I see when I go around to the Loretto schools is that mm. sense of uh, leadership to make change happen. So I guess being a, a person who was influenced by Loretto education, it's probably what really influences your spirituality. Yeah, yeah. I think it was that um, spirituality that allowed for or encouraged you to be who you were called to be mm. and whatever that was and to discover it uh, with the help of others and then um, be that in the world. Yeah. And so, you know, leaving school, not really knowing, um, well, I'm at year 10 level, not really knowing what I wanted to do, but knowing that I could do anything. It's just a matter of what. I mean, and now I look back, that's very privileged. Yeah, and it's very important for young people to Mm. know that. Mm. Um, I think that's a profound, uh, I guess, profound uh, philosophy or way of being to know that you can do anything, really. Mm. Um, And the opportunities um, that the schools provide you is um, helpful. Now, Rachel, the way I see it is... You are a physiotherapist and you are in the business of healing people physically. And as a spiritual director, you are in the business of holding and healing people spiritually. Can you tell us about how these two worlds come together? (laughs) There are so many threads to this. um, But what I'm recalling at the moment was getting to a stage of just really desiring for people to heal in, in, as a physio just yeah. you know I was seeing oh, probably about 10 years into it seeing patients with chronic pain and mm. um, back pain neck pain headaches and I loved the work I was getting really tired by doing it and, and a bit burnt out I realize mm. now um, but I just so wanted them to get better and then realizing Um, Well, they don't get better unless they're really free and enjoying the work they're doing, for instance. If Mm. they hate their job or they're really unhappy, I was noticing that they don't tend to heal very well. Um, And knowing that but not knowing how to help in that space. But I think um, for myself, working in that space all the time, um, I got really tired. Yeah. And as I said, burned out. And I remember reaching myself for this book called The Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola. How old were you, do you think? At that stage, I think um, when I first saw it, I was about 23. Yeah. And I'd been working two jobs and long hours. And then, well, obviously getting tired over a while now when I think about it. And because I formally started to do the spiritual exercises in my mid-30s, as I started to do these exercises, which involve you um, contemplating gospels of Jesus and entering into it imaginatively and getting in touch with desires. Um, And at that stage, I was desiring to, you know, help people I was working with, for instance, and feel more joy in my Mm. life. 
I started to get in touch with this sense of feeling uh, that I was sort of in the way of the process and trying to fix people. Yeah. Um, and once I came to that realisation that I couldn't fix people, that I needed to just let go and God's got this. Yeah. You know, I'm mm. there for them, but it's a collaboration sort of thing. What I noticed was patients started to get better really quickly. And yeah, also at the same time, I was getting um, more energised. Yeah. And so it was a big change from me being responsible for everything in the world and trying to fix everybody. Yeah. Well-meaning, but very disordered, to realising that it was about accompanying yes. and being with. Mm. And everything changed. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And I, like, I do prefer that um, term accompanying because it suggests that there are two people on the journey there there's a mutual uh, uh, you know giving and receiving uh, speaking of accompanying people i know that you worked with refugees who suffered torture can you tell us a little bit about uh what that was like hearing their stories whilst at the same time treating them on the physio table uh healing them both physically and spiritually? Mm, um, it's quite a profound experience being with someone who has suffered so much. Um, you know, what, what I experienced was, was so much gift that I received more than anything that I think I could give. Mm. Um, often I didn't have the language Often they'd shared their story with other health professionals in this um, health hub that I worked in. So I was very aware that, um, well, I learned that repeating the story is often re-traumatising. Yeah. And when I'm with them trying to help them relax, say, their muscles and uh, their mm. neck, or I don't want them, didn't want them to stiffen up and stress. Yeah. Um, so to let the story unfold slowly mm. and um, when they were ready, uh, sometimes accompanying just through eye contact or with my hands just holding um, and just to be there constantly, always being there whether they could make the appointment or not yeah. because often they found it hard to commit, of course, for various reasons. And it challenged me clinically because I'd never really ex experienced people who had suffered torture. It yeah. didn't fit any medical pattern. No. You know, m most mm. people injure themselves in the same ways, really. And you, you learn over 30 years to sort of expect what to find clinically. Yeah. But because these were awful tortures, it was strange patterns, plus, um, I had to listen carefully because I didn't want to take their limbs, say, into the position that they were tortured in because that would make the whole thing worse. And so there was a real um, skill that was challenging and a, di a completely different depth of listening. And the courage and love of their families both those who had survived and were with them, plus those they were uh, worried about back in their home, um, was phenomenal to be in the presence of, of people that 
um, carry that and live that um, yeah. was amazing. Yeah. And I think that um, hearing you speak about that, and I've because I, I you know live with you, I've heard a lot of the stories, and you've shared a lot with me. That to me says transformative love, mm. um, a vocation that is uh, transformative, and that can actually also uh, allow others to be, uh, I guess, agents of transforming other people's lives mm. so the th obviously the, the theme for vocations week this year is transformative love how have you lived and continue to live love in your life mm. well, in terms of um, physiotherapy and spiritual direction my ministry I came to realize that um, working from a place of love you know where it's so full of love that you can't help but give yeah. yes. um, mm. was both enjoyable and energizing and also really effective yeah. and I couldn't conjure it up you just start growing in love with the people that turn up and hearing their stories and um, and it's always mutual yeah yeah um, so love mm. is a mystery but I have witnessed the transformative power of of this healing love you know, um, and I think the working with the asylum seekers really confirmed that power of that sort of love where sometimes, as I said before, there was no language, but no. it's certainly in the room, this intense care for each other. And that wasn't just me, it was the other mm. um, health professionals in the hub. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because normally we say, that we minister to people in our ministry. But it's interesting because what um, often, with you know, in our experience of transformative love, it's actually we're ministering with because we gain just as much mm. as the one that's receiving the ministry. Mm. So I think we um, often uh, look at it a little bit um single-sided and I think when you work with people especially the people that you were talking about you know victims of torture uh, you know that just listening to their story has definitely from what I hear has transformed your life mm. and you've transformed theirs so there's that mutual um, accompanying mm. uh, it's walking on the road together sharing stories mm. so yeah yeah, I, I, I react a bit to the trans, I transform theirs or, I, I mean, I'm always really aware it's love that's transforming. We're just in the presence of it. Um, whatever you call that love, yeah. I'm happy to mm. call that love God. But, you know, as, I'm, as we're talking, I'm recalling a story of um, an asylum seeker who eventually did share in broken English how she came out on a boat and it was a much more crowded boat than she was um, told it would be and so it was a arduous and terrifying trip um, from Iran and it was intercepted by the Australian Navy and um, but before that uh, she realised that they weren't going to have any food on mm. the journey and she'd yeah. packed some nuts and um, dry biscuits in her pocket 
and she saw one of the other passengers uh, on this crowded top deck was seven months pregnant and they didn't speak the same language but every couple of hours she'd give her one of her nuts and she didn't eat them herself and you know she was just saying this as a matter of fact in the course of yeah. just a session we were with and I'll always remember that really vividly the amount of love this woman had for a complete stranger in such dire circumstances finally comes out and makes it to Australia and had a really rotten experience in um, in Australia in that community detention, separated yeah. from her husband, mm. family, and yeah. yet, you know, speaks of love. Yeah, and it's amazing because these people really, um, in a sense, live the gospel, don't mm. they? Mm. Um, mm. Loving your neighbour. So I think mm. it's it's amazing. And those, because those people are on the journey together, there's, the, there's that... Um, you know, notion of we're all in this together, and mm. we we have to help each other out. And mm. um, but that's I I I guess in a sense that's really love. That's what it's about. It's it it is about presence, like what you just said. You can't help but mm. love and and be loved, and and that's the journey we're on. Mm. And of course, uh, we need to talk about Mary Ward, um, the absolute legend mm. um, and Mary Ward we know said to her followers let your vocation be constant efficacious and affectionate we are now 400 years on uh, as Mary Ward people what do you think these words signify to you and can society take on those words and live them I think we we have to yeah and um, and we're called to in this beautiful but troubled world at the moment. Um, Mary Ward has so much to offer. But what really strikes me and touches me is that she, she spoke these words from her deathbed, like she was dying. Mm. And her yes. sisters recorded these words and they were so about her companions, you know? Yeah. Your, and the importance of vocation, the importance of their call and that everything in it be consumed really by love and and for others yeah um yeah and that's what I love about these words I feel like there you know like you said she was on her deathbed but she was her concern was how do we live mm. this vocation and and we're in 2022 mm. and we're still living these words and we're trying to live yeah. those words the best we can you can't be constant in your vocation unless it's coming from a source that's, um, you know, that living water that Jesus talks about. That's just, uh, if, if we can tap into that um, sense of love that Mary Ward knew, it's um, mystery, but it's there. And mm. when one gets a taste of it, it's there's a, a more, a wanting more. Yeah. Um, so that's the constant mm. bit. And then, of course, it becomes effective if you're doing exactly what you feel called to do and you're fully alive and fully energised and you can't wait to get to work and you don't want to leave sort of thing. I, I believe everybody, whatever they are called to, whether it's a um, musician or to be mother or to be um, an artist or writer, if they find what they want to do, it's so energising. So that's the, sort of the effective 
bit and affectionate of course is is loving yeah. good in love or not at all yeah mm. yeah absolutely mm. well rachel it's been an amazing chat and uh thank you for sharing so deeply about your story and the story of others that you've encountered along the way and we look forward to having you on more podcasts in the future thanks rachel thanks Joanne.